Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. On this show, I interview Reb Moshe Fogel. He's the fourth grade Rebbe in Yeshiva Ketana of Queens, and I had the schus that my son had him as a Rebbe last year, during the year that Yeshiva was closed for coronavirus. And the reason I wanted to interview him is because I find his approach to Chinuch is very, very unique and very interesting and worth sharing. Rabbi Fogel believes very strongly that besides just teaching boys, we have to also teach the boys how to learn themselves. And he uses a lot of different methods to give the boys the sense that they're in the driver's seat, that they're actually learning themselves, and the Rebbe's just guiding them and overseeing them many, many different ways. Everyone who has Rebbe Fogel knows about the endless stream of postcards that come in the mail all the time, sometimes from, from sometimes two or three in one day, and not just to the parents, but also to the, both sets of grandparents. They get a, you get a card every time your son asks the kasha that, was, uh, that he's mechaven to somebody else's question. It could be a Gemara's question. It could be a Rashi's question. Ramban, Ibn Ezra, Klayakar, Meshachachma, Medrashraba. And every day we open up the mail, you see a stack of these green, neon green postcards. And uh, my, my in-laws and my parents also would get these cards every day. And can I know how this is something that the kids really are excited about and, and gets them really involved in the whole learning, excited to learn, excited to ask questions. It really brings up the whole involvement of the class. Another thing that's unique, which he does even on young children and fourth grade boys, is that they should learn with a chavrusa at such a young age. starts them out learning with a chavrusa in class, and then at home, during homework, they learn with each other on the phone. It's really a very nice concept, and the boys gain a tremendous amount from it. So... We uh, had a very long conversation with Rabbi Fogel. I really thank him for coming on right before Sukkot, a very busy time. He came on to the show and shared his thoughts and his approach to Chinuch, which is very thought out. And uh, there's something that uh, other Mechanchem can hear and get ideas from, and other and, and even parents who are not actually in the business of, of doing Chinuch. But uh, for your own children, there's a lot of ideas that could be taken out and used with your own children. And it was really a, a, a wonderful, amazing conversation. A lot of good ideas shared. And I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. So now let's go to our conversation with Rabbi Fogel. We're speaking with Rabbi Moshe Fogel. He's a Rebbe in Yeshiva Ketan of Queens. I was like that uh, my son had him as a Rebbe. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Fogel. Shalom Aleichem. I'd like to correct that. I was very to be able to learn with your son, Shlami. I was close to learn with him for the past uh, year, even though, unfortunately, some of it had to be on Zoom. It was still a very special experience. And I thank you for the uh, opportunity. Yeah, this chus is definitely ours as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Zoom part uh, later. We, we did a lot of shows already about that, so I don't want to... Uh, re- re- revisit that in the beginning, but I'm sure you have a lot to say about it. 
but I just wanted to talk about your approach to Chinuch. You have a very unique approach. You know, I had, you know, over the years, my sons, different yeshivas, different rebbeim, uh, you know, seen a lot of different styles of Chinuch, and yours is certainly very unique and, uh, and something that you put a lot of work into developing over the years. So uh, just as a general question, who, who, are, who are your primary influences when it comes to Chinuch and how, and how you teach? Well, of course, obviously my parents were my primary influences in, in their Chinuch to me, but as far as teaching is concerned, I, I guess I would attribute most of it to two rabbeim and one, uh, one, one mentor. I guess to say two Marabayim were my fifth grade Rebbe, who was a well-known master mechanic uh, of Kapo Berlovsky Shlita. Uh, he was, for many, many years, he was, he taught in few yeshivas, but he was a chetav in yeshivas Rebbe Nechayim And my seventh grade Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Hunger Shlita, um, was also a master mechanic, really uh, helped me not only learn how to teach, but also learn how to grow. Um, in one other area, I'd say a mentor would be someone who is a mentor of many, many Rebbeim, and that would be Rev. David Trenk, that's how. Um, he gave me certainly said this very short, very quick, but a very important, uh, that really changed the way I approached him even before I started. Mm-hmm. And, and you, made it, you took a little bit from, from all of them and you developed your own method as, as from their influence? I don't think I developed my own. I used their methods in, uh, in different situations and learned how to adapt it to, uh, I guess you could say, um, today's children and uh, today's uh, families and today's yeshivas. Right. Okay, oh, so that, uh, that, that brings up a good, <laughs> a good topic to talk, talk about. Uh, everyone talks about today's generation that kids have very little attention span. Now, the truth is, adults have even less of an attention span these days. You look around by, uh, by any speech, uh, a drusha, you can see very few people paying attention. But kids for sure have a problem, and especially younger children, the children, the boys that you're, you're teaching, the age uh, 9, 10 years old, it's hard, it's hard to get them to focus. So how, do you, how does a Rebbe deal? With, how, how do you as a Rebbe get the kids into it, get them motivated, uh, get, get, get them to be able to pay attention and, and, and learn? Okay, so I'm first to say that I don't think that it's much different than many other Rebbeim. It's just that each person, of course, is given different gifts. And every Rebbe who uses his gifts, and he has a natural excitement to use those, it definitely helps excite the, uh, the, the Talmudim. But I guess you could say it's in short, you could say it is love, learn, and love to learn. In other words, you have to love the Talmudim, every single one of them. And you need to learn with the Talmudim, as opposed to teaching Talmudim. I try to, much as possible, to learn with them. And um, with that, we love to learn together. It just goes together. Um, yes, incentives are very important, and uh, I think you want to address that later on. But um, I guess that's what you could say it's all about. You love the Talmudim, you learn with them, empower them, show that you're interested in them, and... Uh, and then, um, and then give them the motivation. If they're motivated, they will pay more attention. And if they, it's, 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 a, it's something that they sense from your attitude towards them and their attitude towards you? 
Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, that we, I, I, when I first started teaching, so before I started to teach, I was able to see um, by a chasana, David Trang Zatzal, in um, uh, interacting with his his Talmidim. And uh, when I spoke to his Talmidim, I asked him, I asked him, uh, one of the Talmidim, I said, how do you have such a, how do you get such a close relationship with your Rebbe? And this boy who was a, let's just say a little bit of a tough kid, I knew him from from beforehand, he told me because he loves us like a father and we love him like like a son. And um, at the chasen, I went over to to Rabbi Trink and I said to him, Rabbi, I'm starting to teach by the Shem next year. I'll be teaching my first, uh, my first, my first year teaching in a regular classroom. I've been teaching beforehand in camps, but it's my first time in the classroom. And um, I want to know how do you create such a great relationship with the Talmudim? I've never seen some, them so close. And he said, I don't know. I just love them all. <laughs> so that was the first part of the approach. I will say that my first year of teaching, I was teaching older boys in uh, yeshiva, which, which uh, with boys from a weaker terror background, and it was seventh graders, a little more, uh, uh, let's just say, a little tougher than, than average fourth graders. And um, I was having a difficult time. I used to stop off in the yeshiva where I went, yeshiva Shah Torah. He stopped off there sometimes in Mincha. And the yeshiva that's Zara Gepstein, that's how he... He approached me, he asked me, he said, Moshe, how's it going? And he said, Tom, it's very hard. And each time he told me the same words, the boys have to know that you love them. And I tried to figure out how I can express it to the boys in an obviously appropriate and I, to let they should understand that I really do. Um, I started off, I think, I said, you know, I try to give them Tyrone, and those boys were many were not interested in, in, in learning Torah too much. Um, so that's not giving. As you know, Rodesto says that have and Ahava comes from the same root. It's giving. So I decided I have to figure out what else I can do. So one day I asked the boys, I said, I'd like to have your Hebrew names and your mother's Hebrew names. The boys said, why? I said, I'd like to dive in for all my them. They were very excited. They all gave me names. One boy even uh, snuck out of the room and went to the bathroom and came back with his mother's name. Obviously, he must have had a hidden cell phone there. And I, uh, I took them and I started diving for them. And right away, there was a change in the whole attitude. They were aware that I cared about them. And I, I think that also I cared more as I diving for them. Um, and that's basically where it started. Uh, moving on from there, I guess, you know, as you grow, you, you see that they are wonderful children. They're normal children. They are, they're growing and anything that they do, that's not part of the, you know, that doesn't go towards learning. That's not a, uh, that's not positive in the classroom is just because they're children. Um, I think that, uh, I think that's Solomon, uh, he said over that, uh, that he was some, I think somebody was complaining about the children that maybe they weren't excited enough about the learning. And he said, you did the same thing when you were kids. Let's vote from the king. What do you want from the child? That's the way children are. So I come with that approach. It's a, we understand. Tinek Berech Mesa Sefer was always a rule. 
that's the children naturally do not want to sit. They don't want to stay. Yeah, we can have a shorter attention span now. That's true. We all do, and we have to try to get them excited about it. But it, sometimes they'll just do it because they'll do it for the Rebbe. And that's how they think. And Rebbe obviously cares I'm doing it for them. But that's why they will push themselves to pay more attention or to work harder, even if it goes against their nature or their nurture. Wow. Very powerful lesson. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, as parents also, we have to <laughs> we have to do sometimes a better job in showing our children that, that they know that our the chinuch that we give them is coming from love. And uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's harder with your own children than it is with Tommy them, generally. Yeah. Okay. So coming up, we're, we're about to, to, have to go into Sukkot's vacation. Uh, boys just came back after six months of no yeshiva. And now they're going into another break. And uh, what, what do you feel about all these breaks? It, 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 you would think that it's very disruptive. The kids learn a little, and then they take a few steps back, and then they start again. What, what, what's with all these breaks? The summer and the yamtif and Hanukkah and, and the vacation. There's so many different vacations. Is it, is it interrupting to Chinuch? Like we see the Chazal talk about how chamer it is to be mevatel to Neikash Shabbos Rabban. How does that come into play over here? Um, I think back and I realized that as a child, all these vacations were very important. They uh, helped us recharge. They helped us grow and uh, I think that, uh, you know, each Minal figures out the uh, clientele of the yeshiva, and some schools need more, some schools need less. Some yeshivas, uh, you know, they design the yeshiva with no vacation days, except for Erev Pesach or something like that. And other yeshivas will have more vacation days. I think that uh, they're, they're generally uh, pretty pretty well, uh, fits pretty well to the, uh, to the Talmudim. I think that taking away the vacation generally hurts them more. Uh, of course, I try to encourage them over the vacation. You know, they should never get whether they go without one in Torah. They should try to chazer over the vacation, contests or prizes, uh, and that that helps them a lot. I mean, the idea of the uh, vacation is very important, and uh, it's we're not dealing with um, uh, you know. We're not dealing with uh, great big Tamil Chachamim who, let's say, for example, Chaim uh, Shalavitz would say that Ben Azmanim, he would learn without his kapatan, without the long coat. That's not what most of uh, Tamidim are. And if we try to fit most of Tamidim into the few, let's call them big Masmidim, who just want to learn every moment, we end up losing most of them. In fact, as an example, um, I was, I've been there to teach already for over 13 years in Yeshiva town of Queens. You mentioned that's where I'm teaching there. And the Yeshiva there was Mechadish. The idea, I don't know, Mechadish, but definitely uh, I hadn't heard it before, of trip days. Random days in the middle of the year. Take the boys out to the park. Let them play. From, you know, from after davening till, till lunchtime. And the amount of mileage you get out of it, you get months of mileage out of uh, out of uh, a, uh, a one one day of playing with the boys or even watching the boys play, whichever one is appropriate for the Rebbe. <laughs> so do you feel that when the boys come back, they, they not talking about one day, but a, but a, a big chunk of time, is it coming right back after circus when they just had just started a few weeks before, is it, do, do they have to catch up a lot? Like, do they have to, you have to go over? I think we could put it the other way around. The boys just came into a new classroom 
and they, they were subjected to a change and uh, a bump moving up. Uh, it's it's a it's a lot of uh, it's 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 harder. I think that the uh, vacation for them is very important. It gives them a chance to catch their breath and they come back in ready to ready for the next for for the, the that grade level that they just moved up to. I think it comes out very advantageous to them and. Uh, you know the the other things that go on being together with the family is good also. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so moving on, uh, you know the the, the famous concept uh, of uh, it's better to teach a man how to fish than to just give him a fish because because then he's able to have the skill for life. So I know when it comes to chinuch, I see it's something that that's very unique about your your class is that you're very into teaching the boys how to learn themselves. And giving them the tools for mastering the the the, the not, not just the limud, but how to do limud themselves. So talk about how you yes. do that and and the process that you use and 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 how it actually works. How does it work out? So I first thought that I I, I build on what the rebbeim in the previous years teach the talmidim. For example, uh, they teach them how to decode the, the words in the in the chumash. They uh, teach them concepts. They, you know, and I build on that. I say, you know, you, they already had a few years, you know, in the beginning, there's rote. They'd have to repeat over and repeat over until they remember certain words. There's Russian, there's prefixes and suffixes, and the different, uh, the, the, the different, uh, uh, the ones that they did learn. Um, and the boys have the, a lot of that information. And now it's, you know, I teach fourth grade, at least in Chumash, and some in Mishnayis, some extent in Mishnayis, we can uh, give them the ability to try to work on their own. And uh, first of all, it builds them up tremendously. And second of all, they can. They can generally, they work with Chavusas. Uh, I will explain the Psukim or the Mishnayis, and then challenge them to try to figure out the words. It's always challenging. It's never demanding. And if they can't do it, that's fine. Or there are different years, it's harder for the boys. But I find that they're really, they generally stand up to the challenge and they're able to, uh, to handle it because they have, they were, they, for years before, and they were, some, again, certain words were drilled into them. Certain words have become sight words, they have taiches, they know words, simple words there. And then they, the, the, the boys really learn how to uh, figure out Sukkim on their own. And uh, Mishnayis on, uh, on their own, again, not individually, but in groups, uh, two or three, or in the classroom, sometimes we'll work it out. Different boys will, uh, will volunteer the taiches, and they can figure out the whole parish is on their own. So, they, so the boy, you, you, the way you even said that the boys even think that they, they taught themselves a lot of the words. Like, like Rabbi never said, you even wrote in the newsletters a few times, Rabbi never had to give them a, a, a taich word, ever. <laughs> well, yeah, in Chumash for sure. I mean, Shnayis is newer. You know, they just started Shnayis towards the end of third grade. And they do have the concepts and some words, but uh, their vocabulary is, is generally limited. Um, but in, uh, in Chumash, definitely, they can go through the year and with proper uh, Preparing them beforehand with the information, sometimes saying some key words, you know, that are used to explain the psukim, they can sit and figure out every single or almost every single taich word in the in the pasuk. We just finished in my class today. We finished Parshas Yisrael. We started the beginning of the school year, 
And all 75 sukkim, they figured out all the tight words. Different boys volunteered. Um, and uh, sometimes you even surprised the boy who you may think is a little bit weaker. He's able to catch on and remember the word, or he paid attention very well during the, uh, during the, introduction, the introduction, and he connects the word, the tight to the word, because it fits into the context of the pasuk. Mm-hmm. So before you, you have them tight to the pasukim, you, you tell them what the pasuk's about? Yes, they, you know, I don't expect them to, to you know, to do, if they would do that, it would just be a bunch of disjointed words, even if they got it all right. I want them to understand what they're trying to prepare. Even later on in the year, try to challenge them to figure out Rashi words, which is obviously harder. Of course, there are many words that are repeated from the Chumash, but it's harder. And then even working on words you know, later on, we, we work on Rav also on Bartimura, Parish Bartimura on, on Mishnayis. They, they do a pretty good job on that also. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk about the chavrusas, the chavrusa system you set up. I know there's something in the, in in school, and then uh, throughout the year you even had the boys call each other and learn on the phone with each other. What what what? How do you set that up? And and what what are you trying to accomplish with that? Okay, so I guess there's three separate chavrusa systems that I work with. There's what we call there's there's, a, there's temporary chavrusas, so. I started recently, um, after we learned Rashi together, I have a deck of cards with their names on them, where they, they, the boys actually wrote the cards on the beginning of the year, and I mixed them up, and I just randomly put two boys together to go over the Rashis that we learned. Uh, that's Chazara. After we learned the class, they Chazar together. Um, depending on the class, during uh, Mishnayis, different Mishnayis, start off with the easier ones, later on, some of them are difficult, and then at one point, sometimes it could be all the rest of the Mishnahis, or almost all the rest of the Mishnahis. Uh We have the boys make a lane. I think at this age, two boys is not enough to figure it out on their own. I put them in groups of three, um, occasionally four if there's not an, a number that divided by three in the classroom. Uh, and then I use incentives, because it is very hard. Uh, I use incentives all the time. I use extra incentives, and they uh, work together in... Uh, to figure out the Mishnahis. Again, after I explain the Mishnahis, they try to figure it out. And sometimes they get stuck, so I encourage them to ask other groups, a little purple chaver, and then uh, used to ask other boys to help them out. And then after they finish the Mishnahis, so they figured out the Mishnahis. Occasionally they have to come over to me, they're stumped on a word, and I help them out. Um, then afterwards we go over the Mishnah, make sure everyone got the right taich of the, the Mishnahis. They, they were writing down the taich as they figured it out. And uh, make sure that everyone has the right Havana of the Mishnahis too. The third system is called telephone chavrusas. Uh, my fifth grade Rebbe, I mentioned foreign, uh, he had instituted that when I was in fifth grade. And at first, when I was in, when I first started teaching fourth grade, I thought that it was not for fourth graders. But one time I was there to have my Rebbe actually come to visit my classroom and uh, he sat in the classroom. I told him about different things that didn't. I said, in fact, um, I credited his telephone chavrusas with making me, encouraging me to become a rabbi. Um, he had set me up with uh, sometimes a weaker uh, Talmudim to, to learn with, and he taught me how to be patient and to be nazbi, explain, explain to Talmudim, uh, to other boys, chaverim, things that they have a harder time, with, which would they have a harder time. Um, so he was in the classroom and he turned to me and said, so you do it with them. Telephone chavrusas. I said, Rabbi, they're fourth graders. 
He said, do it with them. So I listened to my rabbi. Uh, within, the, within a week, I set up the boys' telephone chavruses. I allowed them to uh, privately send me little notes with preferences, and even if there was someone that they were sure I wouldn't work out with, either because of negative reasons or because they're afraid they would choose too much, set up an incentive system, and the boys do, do uh, learn with their chavruses every night. We do it later on in the year, usually a little bit after uh, Hanukkah time, set, set, uh, set that up. And uh, the boys learn together every night. And most of the time, I'd say 95% of the time, the chavruses work out well. Occasionally, I have to switch chavruses after a month or two, which is normal. Uh, they are little younger boys, and you know, even older boys don't always work out with the chavruses. Um, and uh, they work together. Baruch Hashem, they grow, and usually the learning gets better for them. So are the boys set up like strategically, a weak boy with a stronger boy, a strong with a strong boy? How do you, how do you pair them up? I set them up, again, based on their preferences. I start with their preferences, and then I see if they make sense. If I know, for example, two boys are asking to learn together, I know that they are going to waste time together, or um, there are two boys set up together, one together, and I know that they're both very weak, I will not put them together. But occasionally I'll put two strong boys together if I have enough chavruses worked out for everyone else. I don't think that fourth graders need to give up too much of themselves to, uh, their, to, um, to, to, or not all boys are able to have patience to learn with other boys. When I have, uh, sometimes I do have some boys who I need to set up a stronger boy with a very weak boy and the stronger boy may resent learning with that boy. So I arranged him a private incentive and I explained to him he's going to make him stronger, he'll be able to help him out. And uh, generally uh, it, work, it works out. In fact, he gets excited, he feels an achrayist to that boy to help him learn, and, he, and he's proud of him as he watches him uh, volunteer to read a pasuk that they chazed and do a great job, or volunteer to read a mishnah that they had chazed together and uh, really know it, and he feels the pride himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's a, it's a very interesting system. I know, I know for my son, it was something that he was like very into, like, oh, I have to call my chavrusa, and they call a few times if the ring and didn't come through, he gets so upset. Like he wasn't able to get a hold of him, and then they call back 15 minutes later until they find, and then they sit and learn. And they yeah, 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 everyone has different schedules. <laughs> nothing, no, nothing man-made is perfect. Right. We do the best we can. Yeah, no, but after they, after they learn, like they, they, they usually knocked it out very quickly, and he felt so good, like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I learned my chavrusa. <laughs> he felt very accomplished. Okay, so uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about uh, the, you know the, something that that you're very famous for. <laughs> any anyone who had any any uh, any child who had, uh, was in Rabbi Fogel's class, the parents all know the famous nachas cards that you get in the mail. Sometimes three, four a day, uh, with all the questions that the boys asked and uh, how you put it together in a safer at the end of the year, which is a beautiful thing. So uh, it's, it's a very very unique thing, and you could t- t- tell us about it. Okay, so the truth is that, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, Rebbe always learns from other Rebbeim. And I don't recall who it was, but one of my brother's Rebbeim once sent on a postcard that my brother, when he was in fifth grade, he was having to Tyson's question, beginning of Stadler and Gemara, famous Tyson's question on Rebbeimia's question, beginning of El Matthias. I still remember that question. I remember seeing that card and saying, this is great. This is amazing. And, um, when I started to teach, 
and I was teaching particularly when I started teaching Shiva Tana. So right away at the beginning of the year, a couple of days in, a boy asked a very, very solid question. I actually had to get back to him about it. And I uh, decided to write a postcard to, to his parents. You know that your precious son, uh, whatever his name was, asked the same question as uh, was, he was Mechavin, I think, to a Medjish Rabba, and, uh, and uh, sent it to the parents. And um, another rabbi, another master Mechanach, who used to teach in Shivak of Queens, now is the Skandinav in Shivak of Long Island, Shlom Dov Pfeiffer, said to me, why don't you also write it out to the grandparents? They also deserve Nachas. So I said, okay, uh, it's good, I'll try it also. So I started writing the Nachas notes to the parents and the grandparents. And the feedback I got was amazing. I had grandparents call me from Canada. I have, I live far away from my, my, grand, my grandchildren and I don't have much to, uh, much to share with them. But now I get a Nachas note. So my son asked the same question as Nitziv. My grandson asked the same question as Nitziv. I call him up. I said, Nitzadik, I heard you ask the same question as Nitziv. What was the question? And um, Baruch Shem, the boy can answer the question, says what the question was, says the answer. Uh, generally, I do with the boys. What happened was there were so many questions. I began to ask the boys to write to me the questions, which also helped boys who were too shy to ask to write. They're usually able to write me a question. And... Um, then I write back the answers to them. So the boys uh, saved those cards and then their grandparents would call and say, so what was the uh, Malbun that you were having to? They could read it off the card. This is the question that I asked, even if, you know, by the time the post office gets it to them, it could be a week later. By the time I finished writing that, it could be even greater than that when there's so many tasks. But it began to, it began to grow. Um, by the third year I was in Yeshiva Tano, I, uh, it, it just, the, I guess the word spread amongst the boys that I send back the Nachas notes. And the boys were really excited and they started asking a lot of questions. I went over to our uh, founding Minal of Rebash Shlita and I mentioned it to him. He said, maybe you could type up what the questions was, what the questions were. So I said, okay, it's a good idea. I didn't realize exactly what I was getting into, but uh, I typed up um, the first month's questions. This was Kislev um, years ago, 12 years ago. And uh, I had a nice booklet about, you know, 130 questions and Baruch Hashem, everybody in the class had at least one question in there. And we printed it up and we, uh, we bound it and sent it, and, and sent it to the parents and the grandparents. And everyone was very excited about it. And the next uh, months were... There were many questions being asked. The boys didn't stop. And the, from the boys who have the most difficulty learning, they were excited because when the atmosphere in the classroom is safe to ask questions, then they end up asking more and more. And uh, for long, I had hundreds of questions. Um, by the time I got towards perm time, I decided I'm going to take all the questions from the winter and actually make a professional. Uh, you know, professionally bound, safer out of them with all the boys' questions and which boys were having to those questions and the answers. And uh, the parents uh, were generous and uh, sponsored the, uh, the publishing because we used a regular, we used a regular, like a, like a dinner journal type publishing company. And um, 
Baruch Hashem, for years we've been doing that already, uh, 11 years so far. I have uh, published the, uh, the sefer we call in Baruch Shakivanti, as I instruct the boys, and explain to the boys that it's a Kaddish Baruch who directs our minds to think, so, think of these great questions, and we have to uh, uh, thank Hashem and bless Hashem for giving us this uh, to do that. That's what we name the sefer Baruch Shakivanti. Mm-hmm. And they feel uh, very accomplished taking home a big... It's, it's, it's amazing what it does. There's a few things that it does for them. Uh, number one, the most important is it lifts them up. Salant had told, I believe, the from Ken, he said that the job of Mechanech nowadays is and this is in his days, it's a lift, no matter what. There's a certain amount of um, raising a child's uh, self-image that cannot be taken away. You know, a boy can get a good mark on a test, and he could say, yeah, that was a fluke. You know, I got so many bad tests. You can never take away from a boy the fact that he was Mechavan, the same question that the Ramban asked, or the same question that was asked in the Gemara. It's there forever. And the boys tell me they still, uh, boys in, uh, in base Medrash, Tell me they still have the Nachas notes, and of course, they still have the Sefer uh, that the Swarm, the Barsh Givanti Swarm, uh, they save them. It's, it's something that makes them feel very good about themselves. So that's really number one. Number two, like I mentioned before, and it does create a connection between the children and the grandparents, and that's pure Nachas. Um, parents also receive that Nachas, even if the child is struggling, they know that the child has potential, he can learn, he can succeed. We'll try to address his difficulties, and you know he's not a hopeless cause, Hasusham. And also, it helps the boys learn how to think. They look at a pasuk, they see a pasuk, and it says Pari Melech Mitzrayim, and they say, "But we know that Pari was the king of Mitzrayim. Why is it to say Melech Mitzrayim?" There's no such thing as an extra dot in the Torah for sure. Not an extra two words. And they're going to ask, "Why say Pari Melech Mitzrayim?" And they learn how to identify uh, the, uh, call them what seem to be anomalies or extra words or um, words out of order in the Psukim. And if you, you know, you look at the Yushayim and the Achrayim and the Gemara and the Mishrashim, that's what they're doing. They're addressing what seem to be anomalies in the Pasuk. You know, that's an example. The very first Rashi, Mereshus, he looks at the word Mereshus. Mereshus means the beginning of. Horatius, in the beginning of what? You'd say Barishain or Barishain. That would be the correct way to say it. So Rashi explains that the Torah is telling us many different things, including Barishius with Rashius, something that's called Rashius, Barilakim Hashem created the world. And Rashi tells us what is Rashius. Now we know that the Torah is called Rashius. So we know we see that Hashem used the Torah, Torah is the blueprint of the creation. Let's talk about Raisa Barama. And boys can learn how thrushes are not uh, arbitrary. They're rooted in the Pasuk, and it's clear from the Pasuk that Tara is trying to tell us something. Right. Okay, yeah, it's definitely a, a huge sense of accomplishment and connection to the Tara the boys have from it. But uh, you, the, on the other side, this is something that in general, and, and, and in general is a problem with kids, and especially when you give them such of an incentive to ask questions, 
that a lot of times the kids feel like every single thing they could ask, like, why over here does it have the word Arisha in with a vav? Why Arisha without a vav? Why does it say S in this pasuk over here? It doesn't say S. Like, eventually it comes to a point where, like, you have to, you have to just teach the boy, oh, this is not a question. This, you know, this just... It's not true. I've never, gotten, I've never gotten a question. It's not a question. Unless the boy wasn't paying attention in class. I've never got a question. It's not a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, my son was looking at the pasuk, and he's just in first grade, and he said... So he said, I, I know that S is a connector, but does it have to say the S? Just say Hashemayim. So I had a great question. And I looked it up. Right, but the Rishonim talk about this, and the Baal say over, that S Hashemayim is there on purpose, not for a Jerusha, but to understand the Pasuk. Because it would just say, Bereshit Baal Akim Shemayim Varetz, Someone could think that Beratius in the beginning, Bara, he created what he created, Elikim Shemayim Varet. You think that Elikim is, is, is the subject, is the object of the, of the, of the sentence, right. not the subject. Right. So, Chasr person can use it the wrong way. Esa Shemayim Varet separates it from Elikim. You know, it's Bara Elikim, Hashem created Esa Shemayim Varet. So, I showed my, explained that to my son. And yet, there's no such thing as a, as a foolish question. I never got a foolish question. And I think that we know that Tili Tilim Sha'alachas come from questions that uh, sometimes the reason why we think that, that we say that they're silly questions because we don't know the answer. But we look it up. Again, I've never, uh, sometimes boys ask me questions. I couldn't find the answer. And I searched and searched. I've actually sent a few questions to Rukhaim Kanievsky uh, Shlita, which he sent back answers. I don't dismiss a question. They're, they're, they come from thinking. They're good questions. And the Torah, if something looks different than the Torah, it's there for a reason. There's a reason why there's a vav and there's not a vav. Perhaps, I don't know the answer, but the, the, the question is a valid, always a valid question. I haven't got, as I told the boys, I have never gotten a foolish question yet. Do you feel that, that with this whole, uh, let's say this push, or this, this, this whole uh, drive to get the boys to ask questions, and it creates maybe like a, some sort of competition that puts a lot of pressure on the boys that are not as, as bright and the, they have to struggle a little more. Is that, is that, do you no, I don't think so because I, I stress to the boys that, you know, we talk about the only time you find ever in Chazal a race in first place and it was a disaster. <laughs> the concept of, I explained to them the concept of first place is not a Jewish idea. It's Greek. And all of Western society comes from Greek culture. It's the Olympics and whatever it is that, they, that, that the, the, the Greeks pushed. In Tyre, there's no competition. It's every person runs his own race. And so sometimes, yeah, boys know. So this one doesn't know. Yeah, some boys do compete. But I stress to the boys, it's really not so important. It's not important who does more. You know, I say, you want to go through the, through the safer of the Baruch Givanti and count how many times your name is there? Great. But don't go and count and compare to other people. It's really unimportant. Sometimes there are boys who are more competitive, but they're competitive by nature. And if they won't compete on that, they'll compete on something else, on test marks or, or um, some, some other. And it could be worse. They could compete in Marishkeit. So it's not, it's, it's, I don't believe that it makes it worse. I think it encourages them to do more. And I know that Kinesav Tabachachim refers to Machanchim, but in this area, I think that it helps the boys too. 
So talk about in general, what, you know, the, the, today's, the classrooms, our system of teaching today, so we put all the boys together based on age and not necessarily based on level. So in a, in a, in a classroom, this is a problem all over, not just, obviously not just in your class. But yeah. There's such the, a range, such a huge range of levels in one classroom. So how do you teach to every single boy? How is it possible? Uh, so first of all, I just want to clarify that it is, the, the fact that we have to send our kids to yeshiva is a tragedy. The proper way, the proper way of, of Chinuch would be parents. It's a tragedy that's been going on for 2,000 years since Yeshua and Gamla realized that unfortunately there were parents who could not teach their children. Either they were on the Aretz or the children were Yisayman or the parents were so poor they had to work so hard they had no time to teach their children. And now we are stuck having to send them to Yeshiva. And of course, whatever more a parent can teach, then the parent should should uh, should teach. Uh, that's uh, they should they should want to. This is the that's the ikar chinuch. Um, we have to teach, and that's where we're, you know we we are zeicha to to do that to do that job. That's that's the first thing. So yeah, it's a man-made system. It was made by a great man, zachal atayv chacham say about him, but it it never can be perfect. Dividing children by level at this age for sure definitely can be very hurtful for children. There are many children who are, um, who feel very uh, discouraged if they're in the Gimel or Dalit class in, 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 in yeshivas, particularly if it's in elementary, but even in, in the siftas, you know, by the time you get to the sifta, you hopefully you send, we send a child to the yeshiva that fits them best, and they should not feel that they're lower than everyone else there. Um, but, you know, there's going to be different levels, and the different levels, we grow from them. Of course, yeshivas have resource rooms, and through remedial or sometimes uh, enrichment for those boys who are ahead. Um, of course, if a parent has the time in the kayak to, um, to, 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 to do more enrichment of a child, is ready and willing to, to, to do more enrichment, that's always that's always good as long as they try not to uh, I guess try not to make the boy bored of what's going on in the yeshiva and you know, don't teach them the learning in the yeshiva. But uh, the, generally, we try to uh, we, we do try to teach to all Talmudim, and I did find that actually this idea of asking questions helped uh, solve that problem because. When I'm explaining the Pasuk again, or the concept again, the boys who already caught on are already looking at for their questions in the Pasuk, and they're trying to identify questions. And um, so it does help resolve some of the difficulty. Um, you know, specialized classes for each and every Talmud, well, that, that would be parents, probably the best. Um, as they get older, we sometimes can do it. You have a very big yeshiva that can have a bunch of different classes, and they feel that, again, I don't like the idea of, of uh, different levels of classes that are identifiable, because I think that uh, the boys label themselves, yeah, with a dummy class, and sometimes the boys in the higher class become a little bit more haughty, and uh, that's not good either. Uh, I think together, parallel classes work out very well, as far as I can tell. I'm not going to second-guess those mechanchim that do otherwise, but... As far as I can see, I think that it's the best option we have in the situation we're in. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, no, it's, it's interesting what you're saying that the boys, because they're, in, in your class, there's so much independent learning where the boys are learning on their own and, and basically teaching themselves so that even the weaker boys could, are able to feel involved and accomplished and, and it gives them the, the drive to, to, to learn better than if they're just hearing a lecture. Yeah, so lecturing is always boring. And in fact, I, I try to take away as much lecturing as possible. The hardest area to avoid lecturing is actually the area of halacha, because halacha, you have to teach them the halacha. You can't let them give their own opinions in the halacha, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially at this age. You can, you can do that. You can try to, uh, try to give their own opinions and see if it works out, that they're shining in and whatever it is, but you can't really do that uh, at that point. So I tried to develop a, a halacha workbook. It's, I guess I'll put a plug for that. I have a Halakha's um, Tila workbook for, I guess you call middle school age, Mene uh, Yeshiva, um, which is designed in a way to try to involve the children in the learning. I created a, uh, a dialogue between Rebbe and Talmud, and in class we read back and forth, the Rebbe to the Talmud, Talmud to the Rebbe, 25 lessons, which is about the amount of weeks that you need that you don't have to teach about the Yom during the year. And uh, the Rebbe and the Talmud, they, um, you know, the Rebbe read the Rebbe part, they go around the classroom, different boys read the Talmudim, and uh, they're involved in reading, and then, of course, they can ask questions. So there's more learning done, even though, of course, I've already written down what they're going to be learning. So they are reading what's there, but they feel more part of it, and it's a lot less boring than listening to a long lecture. Okay. Um, yeah, so moving on, just uh, the sense, sense of time. Um, what, what, what we spoke about before, about incentives and getting the boys to, to, to learn better, you give out prizes, yeah. points. Yeah, what, what are you, what's your thoughts about that? What's your feeling? You know, the, the, how much is, 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 is the right amount? And are we... So I'd say that incentives are an absolute necessity in most cases. Um, Cost of Batayra, Kajbohu gives us incentives, even Gashmistic incentives, even that's on a more national level, like you have in the Parsha Vayam Shemaya. Mm-hmm. The Gemara, we have a story with Shmuel Bar Shelas, who, I guess in our terms, he gave out sushi to the Talmud and didn't want to learn, to, to get, encourage them to learn. Um, you have the Ramam says that it's a chatchila, to, for, for definitely for children, it's women children, to have incentives. And um, I don't think it's just children. I learned in the mirror, and lesson two that's out. I remember he made a, an amazing incentive. Um, I'll tell you what it was. It's in Tafshim and Tess. He made an incentive that any Bachar who learns during the winter's man, I uh, remember in, in Israel, the Arab Shabbos is no official Seder. So any Bachar learns in the winter's man from, from Arab Shabbos through Matzah Shabbos, 12 hours every single um, every single Shabbos to receive a thousand shekel. Um, the incentive was tremendous. The um, the uh, the result was amazing. The Bismarck was so stark during the uh, Arab Shabbos Seder, first Seder, the Yeshiva actually had to hire Shalomation just for the Arab Shabbos Seder. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that um, there's any problem with incentives. Again, there's some. I know that there are some mechanchim who try to uh, do without it. Again, most of the time, it's somebody who hasn't been in the classroom in a long time. 
Um, yes, I like to explain to the boys the purpose of the incentives, and I try to get that they should understand. I tell them, for example, come Sukkot Bez Hashem. I am designed already a a, a a a learning contest for them, and there's raffles. So before the raffle goes is is made, I tell the boys, I said, let me explain to you that this raffle is not a prize for your learning. Because I can't give you a schaf for learning. You know, one word of Torah is worth more than all the, all the money in this world. But the idea of the raffle is to quiet down the Yitzhahara. All of us want to do white. We all want to learn. We all want to shtaik. The Yitzhahara tells us, play, go read, go, go, go sleep, or do something uh, that's not productive. And we can tell the Yitzhahara, no, but I want the prize. So even if you don't win the raffle, you won because you were able to tell the Yitzhahara for the chance of the prize, I, I'd rather uh, learn during, during my, uh, learn during my uh, vacation uh, or whatever, maybe learn when others don't learn or learn when, uh, when it's hard for me to do it. And that way they know I'm not giving them a prize for learning. I'm giving them a prize as an incentive to chase away the Yitzhahara. And uh, even though it's uh, a gosh, mystical price, sometimes it's a safer, sometimes it's a toy, sometimes it's a nash, whatever it may be. You know, we, with ideas to hachnas as your trainer, we just said that in Davening, uh, in Kippur. We want to, you know, to train the every day. We try to use the Yitzhahara and uh, switch them on our, to, to work for us. Outside, okay. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so, so before we end, to just talk about uh, last year, the experience that we had with uh, yeshivas being closed, the coronavirus, and having to teach the boys over, over Zoom, phone, whatever it was. Um, it must have been very, obviously it was very different for you as a, as a Rebbe, and, and uh, you know, how did it work out at the end from your perspective? Well, Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us a situation, we have to do the best we can in the situation. Zoom is not like learning in class, it's another tragedy. The, the boys have, definitely have a harder time with Havana. They don't get the Rayas Merecha because the, uh, there's a delay in the, from the audio to the video. So it's never exactly perfect. And it's not the same. It's hard for the boys to have their Rebbe's 18 inches from their face every moment. And, um, you know, switching from the screen to the safer is very, very difficult. I find that it's true. It was true for almost almost every Talmud found it harder. And as a Rebbe, I say that both the Rebbeim and Talmudim, we were more exhausted, uh, we were basically doubly exhausted from learning. You know, a 45-minute uh, session was like teaching for, for an hour and a half, and for Talmudim, 45-minute session was like learning for an hour and a half. It was really grueling. Um, Baruch Hashem, in our case, we were able to um, do the best we can, and the boys learned well. I cannot say that the I was able to check for understanding the same way, and uh, the Havana was was compromised. But this is a situation Akash Baruch gave us, and uh, we use the Zoom when we have to. And if we have to use it again, then we'll use it. If we have to use it again, uh, it's definitely not lachatchila, and it's certainly uh, um, uh, difficult. And I have that understanding with Talmidim. I know that it's more difficult to learn and to learn. So sometimes you have to put in some extra incentives, sometimes make it a little more fun uh, if, that's, if that's what needs to be done so that they're willing to sit there and struggle with their 
their video um, failing or their let's say their um, they're dis- they're, they're disconnecting or whatever it may be, or Rebbe's voice breaking up or whatever it is, they're still trying to learn. So the incentive again pushes away the Eitzar who says, just give up, you never make it. Right. Right. Do you feel that because of the situation you, you were behind in, in terms of what you wanted to accomplish for the year? Uh, in the most important areas, Baruch Hashem, we did not fall behind at all. Um, meaning in the Chumash, the Shnayis, Halacha, Chumash Rashi, Mishnayis, Halacha, in Parsha, we, we kept most, almost everything uh, was able to be uh, kept to. Certain areas where we weren't able to, uh, I guess we call the minor, more minor areas, the areas that we don't we, uh, do once a week or less, um, we weren't able to keep up completely. But uh, I don't think that, that much was expected. I think that asking them to do more would have been counterproductive. And so it was the best under the circumstances. Yeah, and that's why Kaj Baruch wants from us to do our best in every circumstance. Right. Okay, so before we go, Rabbi Fogel, do you want to leave leave off our listeners with uh, some last thoughts? Yeah, I just I just end off with uh, just the last point I mentioned in the beginning, but it's really important that we should understand that we love the children and we try to build them up and we remember that we use, again, to use the gifts that we have to try to help them grow. You know, Hashem gave me the ability to write songs. I write songs to help the boys. Some Rebbeim are amazing storytellers. Other Rebbeim use art, singing, music playing, um, uh, even, and sometimes, connect some meeting with sports or whatever it is that works and gets the meeting to connect to you, then you can help them grow. You know, some of them will do build things that with the Talmudin based on what they're learning. And if that works for them, that's going to help them grow. If you're excited about it, that's the, that, that will get them excited too. And again, just continuous, it is a schuss that I'm um, to, to teach Akadosh Baruch children and your children and um, I'm very, I'm very thankful to Dan Hala in Yeshiva, where I teach Yuktana of Queens, to Rabbi Kester, of a Brun, who allow and encourage me to do sometimes zany things, just get the boys excited and get them learn. You know, as yeah, being learned, as long as we get them to learn, do whatever it takes to make them to love to learn and to love to learn. Okay, yes, definitely so. I know my son grew a lot from having you, and uh, I'm sure uh, you tell me them, other tell me them, many, many other tell me them in Mitzchev for many, many years to come. Thank you very much, Rabbi Fogel, for coming on and sharing your approach to Chinuch. I hope others can listen and be inspired from uh, the ideas that you shared. And you should to continue to, doing your Avayis HaKadosh for many, many years. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, we should continue to have nachos from all of our children, both the ones in our home and the ones in Yeshiva. Amen. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening in how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron. 
Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.